we're starting the book of Isaiah. And the book of Isaiah reminds me of something. Reminds me of um, your phone when it starts freaking out. Have you ever heard those emergency alerts on your phone when they just freak you out? Just recently, um, Alexander and I were traveling. We, we weren't even in California. We were in the state of Georgia, and there were flash floods. And um, our phones started freaking out with these really loud sounds. And it was like flash flood warning, flash flood warning. We couldn't even get it to stop. It sounds loud and crazy, and it's scary, and it freaks me out because um, I never hear, I never actually even have my phone sound on. I always keep it on vibrate. I always keep it off. Um, so it just really freaked me out the other day when I turn to my phone and my phone's screaming at me and saying, flash flood's coming. And for a while, I was like, no, uh, it's okay. I've seen rain before. Well, let me tell you, I've never seen rain in my life like I saw it a couple weeks ago. We were driving on the freeway. You literally could not see 20 feet in front of you. The rain was coming in sideways. We were going through, at one point, you, the, the windshield wiper was going back and forth, back and forth. Every time you wiped it off, it immediately would come right back on. You couldn't see hardly anything. We were on the freeway. There was no traffic, really. We were going like 30 miles an hour because of how crazy the rain was coming down. And I was thinking, you know what? I probably should have, uh, probably should have listened to that message that was trying to scream at me and yell at me on my phone because it was trying to get my attention and say, hey, just to let you know, there's flash floods. You need to know there's flash flood warnings. And anytime your phone goes off crazy like that, it's actually a helpful thing. Anytime anybody has a warning for you, if it's an important warning, I hope it's a loud warning because it's important for you to listen, especially when it's important like that. Well, today we're going to look at a book in the Bible that I want you to think of like that emergency sound, okay? The book we're reading today and the person who's going to speak most in this book, the prophet Isaiah has a message and it is a serious message. It's an important message, so important that it needs to be shouted and that's basically what he's going to do. So I want you to grab your Bibles and look at this new book. We're just starting to study it tonight, the book of Isaiah. So grab your Bibles, look at the book of Isaiah. It's pretty much in the middle there. If you just turn right to the middle of your Bibles, for me, it's like really almost in the middle. If you turn right to the middle and then go right a little bit, you'll probably find it right there. The book of Isaiah. Now, Last time we were together, we were studying the book of Deuteronomy, and you might say, well, what about all the stuff in between? Well, there's a lot that took place between the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Isaiah. In um, our time span of all of this, the book of Deuteronomy takes place in 1400 BC. So that's a really long time ago. We're skipping all the way ahead to 700 BC. So 700 years have passed in Israel's history. And there's some warning signals going on. Because if you remember the book of Deuteronomy, what were the people supposed to do? They're supposed to go into the land. They're supposed to take that book and they're supposed to follow its instructions. Well, guess what? The people didn't do that very well. And what God has to come along and do is warn them with people like the prophet Isaiah to say, look, you are not keeping the book of Deuteronomy. I gave you the law and you guys have abandoned it. 700 years of history has taken place. Um, if you remember, the Israelites, just a quick overview, the Israelites were going into the promised land, into the land of Israel. They were the Israelites, but they weren't even in the land of Israel. So Moses leads them all the way there. Then Moses dies in the wilderness. Joshua leads them in. And they take all these different cities and God puts them in the land and they have rest for a while. The problem is after generation come and a generation go, they don't follow God anymore. 
and they turn from God and serve all these other gods. And it says that in that time period, the time period we see in the book of Judges, the people of Israel were constantly being put down by other enemies. And what would happen is they would disobey God, just like the book of Deuteronomy said, God would bring something terrible into their life, and then they would repent, turn back to God, and then things would go well. And that went along for like 400 years. So fast forward 400 years, there's a guy named Samuel. Samuel, you might know from the book of First and Second Samuel, he's an important guy because he comes along and he's the last judge. But more than just a judge, he's a prophet. And here's what prophets did. Prophets spoke for God. Okay? Isaiah is going to be a prophet like that. And basically the main job of a prophet is to speak for God. And Samuel spoke for God. And what God said is, I want you to set up a king. Because up to that point, this nation didn't have a central leader other than God himself. So God set up these kings. And the first king was a bad king. His name was Saul. The next king that God set up was a good king, King David. And his family continued to rule all the way until the time of Isaiah. But there's a problem. They had this one kingdom of Israel. But the problem is the kingdom split because of disagreements and because of foolish choices made by the kings. So 200 years after the split, we come to the book of Isaiah. I know that was a lot, that was 700 years of history, but you come to the book of Isaiah and we check out the first verse, check it out. Isaiah chapter one, verse one. It says, the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Judah was the Southern of these kingdoms. Jerusalem was the capital city. So he's talking about these people. In the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. Those are four different kings from Judah. So in the timeline of everything, we come to the year 740 BC. 740 BC. And Isaiah is a prophet. He's someone who speaks for God for about 50 or 60 years through four different kings. So he's there for a long time. And here's what his main message is. People, Israelites, you guys have forgotten about God. You have God's rules. You know the right thing to do, but you're doing the wrong thing. You know that you should follow God's law, but the problem is you're following whatever you want to do and you're not following God. So he's warning them. It's like he's shouting at them like that emergency signal. Turn back to God. Turn back to God. That's his entire purpose. And tonight, we're going to look at the first five chapters of this book. We're not going to cover every single verse, but the first five chapters, Isaiah introduces everything that we're going to talk about in this book. So we're going to study this book for the next 12 weeks, all the way basically until Christmas time. We're just going to look at this one book of the Bible. We're going to see a lot of things in other parts of scripture, but the reason we're going to look at this is because the book of Isaiah says so many things that are important about our Christian life too. You might say, well, this was written, you said it was in 700 BC. That's 2,700 years ago. What could it have to do with me? Well, the main ideas that we're going to look at in this book are about things like sin, things like salvation, things like what it means to get to know God. Also, the person that he promises is going to come and fix the problem. This book of Isaiah talks about the Messiah, Jesus, 700 years before he was born. So there's so much in here that's important. And the thing that we need to do as we approach this book is we need to say, we need to take this seriously. We need to take the book of Isaiah so seriously because it's like that warning. It's like that emergency warning on my phone that said there's a flash flood coming. And whether I believe it or not, it came. That flash flood did. And 
There's some things that are promised here, good things and bad things that are coming that are promised, and we need to be ready for them. So I want us to just think this through, this first verse. That's all we looked at at the beginning, but I want you to write this down for point number one. I want you to listen carefully to God's serious message from Isaiah. Look at this for the next 12 weeks. I want you to listen carefully. One of the problems with the people that Isaiah spoke to at his time was that they didn't think they needed to hear this message. They were like me with that flash flood warning. They said, nope, I don't need to listen to this. I've heard it all before. Oh yeah, I know we have a law from God, but guess what? God has not done anything about it. The book of Deuteronomy says that there's gonna be all these blessings for obedience and there's gonna be all these curses for disobedience. Where are the curses? We're doing whatever we wanna do and God's not punishing us. I want you to think about this. That is like our world today. A lot of people in this world know something about God. They know something maybe even about Jesus Christ. They know something about what the Bible says about sin, that it's wrong and that they shouldn't do it. But what they do is they look around and maybe this is even you. They look around and say, well, God's not doing anything about it. So I don't need to listen. God's not punishing sin right now. So why would I need to listen? That's exactly what these people thought at this time. And Isaiah is coming in to warn them to tell them stop. I've said this before, but I I want you to even write it down. The word prophet, okay? The word prophet. Because I said here, this is a serious message that comes from God through Isaiah. Isaiah is a prophet. Now, when you think of the word prophet or even prophecy, what you might initially think is that means when someone tells the future or predicts something, okay? I want to say that's not what the word means, okay? Sometimes prophecy is predicting the future, but here's what it basically is. A prophet is someone who speaks for God, right? That's the bottom line. A prophet is someone who speaks for God, which means prophecy, all that means is words or a message that comes from God. And in the Bible times, there were special men that God spoke to and he spoke through. So when Isaiah got up and said, thus says the Lord, which he's gonna do multiple times, what he's saying is God says something for you. God has a message for you. And Isaiah is like the delivery person, right? It's like, you know, if you were gonna deliver a message, if you had a really important message, you know, you said some handwritten letter and someone gave it to you that you could pass on, right? Usually what this looks like is when you pass notes in class, right? Does that still happen? Or are you just texting class? You know what I'm talking about, passing notes in class? We used to do this all the time, right? We used to get in trouble for it, right? The leaders know what I'm talking about. Like if you wanted to get a note from this person to this person, you'd have to take write on like a little sticky note or a little piece of paper and then you slip it to this person and you slip it to that person and then they'd slip it to that person and then it would get to the crush and it would says on the, on the card, um, do you like me? Yes or no? Check the box, yeah? Check the box, yes. Check the box, no? And then, and then the girl checks the box, no? And then hands it back and then the friend looks at it and then gives it to the other friend, looks at it. And everybody knows that this girl just rejected this guy. Um, and in that situation, the person who gives the message, they're the messenger, right? They're just delivering the message, okay? Isaiah is delivering God's message. God has a message and it's not, do you like me or do you not like me, right? Um, it's a little bit more serious than that, right? He's got a message. We're going to look at what that message is tonight, but I want you to think rightly about prophecy and what prophets did. So when you read this book, Okay, these are God's words. That's what I want you to think. God is speaking. 
And God has a message for the people of Israel. And like I said before, that message is one that we need to hear today too, because our situation is actually pretty similar to their situation. The New Testament says this about prophecy. I'd love for you to write this verse down. Second Peter chapter one, verses 20 and 21. Second Peter one, verses 20 and 21. It says this, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. What that means is when Isaiah wrote his book, he wasn't just thinking, you know what? I know what I want to write today. I want to write that everybody is, is stupid, right? Um, no, Isaiah does not decide that. Okay. It wasn't his decision to give the message. All he's doing is just passing the message along. It's God's message. Verse 21 says, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. Isaiah did not sit down and think, okay, what should I write today? Mm, some poetry, mm, some things about judgment, some things about wrath. That's not how it worked. God spoke. And it said, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, okay? So the Bible that you have today, and here, here's the big thing I want you to take away from this, okay? The Bible you have today is God's message for humanity, okay? It's God's message for us. So you can't look at the Bible and say, oh, the Bible's for some people. It's not for me. You can't do that. There definitely is a sense in which this original message had a meaning for its original audience. That's definitely true. But even when we look at the book of Isaiah, God wants to say something to us through this book. God has a message for us in this book. Prophets in the Old Testament spoke like that. The book of Hebrews actually goes further. The beginning of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews 1.1 says, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Those are the people who spoke for God. But in these last days, God has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he has appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So Jesus actually serves as a prophet. And you might not think that, but one of the roles that Jesus had when he came to earth was he came to speak from God. Right? That's helpful because not only was he the, the messenger, right? He was the one who had the message, right? Because he's God. So Jesus even comes and is a prophet. So we need to understand what this prophecy is all about. In fact, Jesus was actually promised in the book of Deuteronomy to be the prophet that was gonna be like Moses. Moses had this special relationship with God, unique. He talked to God face to face. The other prophets didn't do that, Moses did. And Deuteronomy 18, 18 says that there's a prophet that's gonna come one day that's just like Moses, who speaks to God face to face, okay? That is talking about Jesus. So even when we look at what Jesus says, we need to say, okay, his words are from God too. So this book that you have right here, you need to get this firmly fixed in your mind. This book, this Bible is from God. Okay. Super important for us to get. The reason I say that's important is because these Israelites who heard Isaiah preach, probably a lot of them probably didn't even believe that Isaiah was from God. They probably said, no, nah, I don't know. You don't know what you're talking about. Isaiah was speaking for God. Look at the next verse. Isaiah 1, 2. Check it out in your Bibles. Everybody check it out. Isaiah 1, 2. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. Even that language, hear heaven and earth. Do you remember in the book of Deuteronomy with the blessings and curses? Remember what God said? He says, heaven and earth are the witnesses. So God speaks again and says, hey, heaven and earth. 700 years ago, I, I spoke to you, so to speak. Now I'm going to call you as a witness. It says, children have I reared and brought up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people don't understand. 
What God is saying is the people of Israel are literally dumber than oxes and donkeys. Because oxes and donkeys, they know who their master is. But the Israelites, they don't even know who their real master is. They've forgotten about God. Verse four, ah, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. It's a fancy word for sin. Offspring of evildoers. Even their parents are evil. Children who deal corruptly. They have forsaken the Lord. That word forsaken means they've left. It's like they were in this good position where they could have had this relationship with God, but they said, no, I don't want to follow God. They were raised with the Bible, some of them, but they rejected and said, no. They have despised the Holy One of Israel. That's another name for God in this book. It says, and they are utterly estranged. This book is going to go on to talk about the different judgments that these people deserve, but I want you to get that firmly fixed in your mind. These Israelites took God's word and they said, no, I don't want to follow it. If you think about it, that's what each and every one of us has done. We've not followed God's rules perfectly. And what he's going to say in this book is because these people reject God and haven't followed God, what he's going to say is you deserve punishment. I want you to write this down for point number two. Admit that your sins deserve God's punishment. Admit that your sins deserve God's punishment. After you write that down, just look ahead in this passage. Isaiah chapter one, verse 10. I'll read it. It says, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Those are two cities in the Old Testament that were really sinful. And what he's saying is the city of Jerusalem, supposed to be God's holy city. You're acting like Sodom. You're acting like Gomorrah, the most evil cities. God asks them a question. Look what his question is. Verse 11, Isaiah 1, 11. Check it out in your Bibles. Here's God's question to them. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I have had enough of burnt offerings of ram and the fat of well-fed beasts, and I do not delight in the blood of bulls or the lambs or of goats. He's saying the people were coming and giving sacrifices to God. So they hadn't forgot about God completely, but basically here's what they were doing. They were coming to church. They were singing the songs. And God says, I want you to stop it. Stop worshiping. Why would God say stop worshiping? Because the problem was their whole lives, they were living in sin. They came to worship and they said, oh yeah, we love you, God. And then they went and did all their sin on the side. Well, they went to school, so to speak. They were hanging out with all these bad people doing all these sinful things, but then they came to church and put on a good face and acted like, yeah, no, I'm right with God. God says, I want this stuff to just stop. He says, don't bring any more vain offerings, verse 13. Verse 14, he says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, all the things that you do to, to serve God, my soul hates. God says, I hate it when you guys even gather and worship. They've become a burden to me. I'm weary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, that's what happened when you prayed. He says, I will hide my eyes from you. God says, I don't even want to listen to you. I don't even want to look at you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen because your hands are full of blood. What that means is these people were doing wrong. They took God's rules and they said, we're not going to follow God's rules. And they brought these offerings to God and they thought that they could make God happy just by singing the songs on the weekend. They thought they could make God happy just by trying to do some good things for people sometime. And here's what he says, I want you to just, just stop, stop. It's not getting you anywhere. Later in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 64, 6, says that we have all become 
like one who's unclean. And our righteous deeds are like filthy rags or polluted garments. We try to offer our good works to God and God says they're not good enough. They're polluted. They're not good enough for God. Later on in Isaiah 2.11, it says that the haughty looks, the pride of man shall be brought low. The lofty pride of man shall be humbled and the Lord alone will be exalted on his day. It's basically saying these people of Israel deserve punishment from God. And, and the problem is, I think for us, we're really good at figuring out when other people need to be punished for stuff, but we're not so good at seeing that we need to be punished for stuff. Okay, case in point, when you and your siblings are fighting, okay, and your parents catch you in a fight, what's the first words out of your mouth? They started it. She did it. He did it. Wasn't me, right? That's what we all do, right? When you're caught, when you're in a fight with your brother or your sister and your parents try to confront you, your first reaction is always, I didn't do it. It was their, it was their fault. Even if the reality is you were doing it also. It's easy to see other people's sin. It's harder to see your own. And that's what Isaiah is trying to do. He's trying to get them to see, hey, you need to see your sin here. You need to own up to it. Right? Romans 1, Paul says something else. He says, the wrath of God, the righteous wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. So it's not just back in Bible times. It was even right now that God has wrath that's being stored up for all the bad stuff that goes on in this world. And usually when you think of all the bad stuff in the world, you first think all the bad stuff out there. But what Isaiah is trying to do is think, what about the bad stuff in here? What about my sin? What about the times that I lie? What about the times I'm not truthful? What about the times that I say bad things or do bad things. What about those things? God says that's sinful too. And these people that lived in Jerusalem didn't want to recognize that. Make sure that that's not you. Book of Romans also says, Romans 3.10, none is righteous, not even one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have all become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Think about that. Do you believe that? But the Bible says that all of us have sinned, even later on in that chapter, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That is something that you need to think through, especially if as you grow up, you're thinking, I want to follow God. I want to be a Christian. That's central to what it means to have a relationship with God, to recognize that I am a sinner. That was Isaiah's message. That was his first thing he was trying to say. If you're in Isaiah 1, look at Isaiah chapter 5. Isaiah chapter five, verse one. He tells a story. It's like a parable. He's trying to get their attention here. Isaiah five, verse one. Isaiah says, let me sing a song. I'm gonna write you a song. I want you to listen. Who's it for? It's for my beloved, the person he loves. Who does Isaiah love? Well, we'll find out. My love song concerning his vineyard. So he's painting a picture. He's like, imagine a vineyard, right? You've been maybe seen in Temecula or something where all the grapes are right? All the rows and rows of grapes, right? You know, those little stakes, right? There's a whole row and line of them. He says, that's a vineyard. He says, imagine someone I care about has a vineyard. They have a garden. He says, my beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and he planted it with the choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and he hewed out a wine vat in it and he looked for it to yield grapes, but it has only yielded wild grapes. He's saying, I want it to bear good fruit, but guess what it did? It bore bad fruit, only bad fruit. 
So Isaiah asks everyone the question, all the sinners that don't recognize their sin. He says, now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What would you do if you had a garden that didn't bear any fruit? That you put all this money and time and effort into making it exactly right and perfect. And then it bore no good fruit. It didn't have any apples. It didn't have any grapes. It only was getting destroyed. What would you do to it? You already built a wall. You already gave it everything it needed. What would you do? He says, what more is there to do for my vineyard, verse 5, than what I've already done for it? When I looked for it to yield grapes, it yielded wild grapes. What should I do with my vineyard? He says, I'll tell you, verse 5, what to do. I will remove its hedge and it shall be devoured. I'll break down its walls. I'll clear it out. I'll say, we're starting over somewhere else. It will be trampled down. It'll be made a waste. All these things. I'll even command no rain to be poured on it because it didn't bear fruit. Now, what is he talking about? He's painting a picture. He says, you men, of Judah, you men of Jerusalem, you know what you would do? You would give up on that. Look at verse number seven. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts, that's the one that Isaiah loves, is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. He says, you're the vineyard. God set everything up for you Jerusalemites. Everything up for you. He gave you the law. He brought you into the land. He gave you everything you needed. And he said, just bear good fruit. Just do what I said. Listen to me. And he says, God looked for justice. He wanted to see justice in this land. He wanted to see people treating each other well, but behold, bloodshed. He looked for righteousness and behold, an outcry. God looks at his people and he says, I expect more. I expected there to be good fruit, but now there's bad fruit. That's not just an Old Testament message. It's a New Testament one too. In Luke chapter three, John the Baptist was preaching and he said this, Luke 3, 9. It says, even now, the ax is laid at the root of the tree. Another analogy with a plant. The ax is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What he's basically saying is you need to bear fruit. You need to live a righteous and godly life. The crowd turned to him and said, what should we do? John the Baptist says, you know what you should do? Whoever has two tunics, share with the one who has none. And whoever has food also do likewise. And some of the tax collectors, the people that stole money from others, came to be baptized. And they said, teacher, what should we do? What does repentance look like for us? And he says, collect no more than you're authorized to do. And soldiers came to him and said, what should we do? The soldiers would oftentimes beat people up to steal their stuff. He says, don't extort money out of people. That's beating people up with threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. He says, I want you to live righteously. In other words, follow the book of Deuteronomy. God already gave you that. That's what it looks like to turn around. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 13. He says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. You'll perish too. Not just in the Old Testament, even for us. And that's the message we need to hear. If we don't turn away from our sin, Jesus even says, we'll perish. We'll be punished. They deserved it. We deserve it too. But there's good news. Look at Isaiah chapter one, verse 16. He says, look, I want you to turn around. Back in Isaiah one. He says, wash yourselves. Clean up your hands. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes and cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. All those things are basically, that's what they always should have been doing. That's the righteous things that God always commanded them to do. 
Verse 18, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, that's a bright red color. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So your sins are so bad, they're a stain, but guess what? God can do something about it. God can blot out the stain. Look at verse 19. He says, if, if you are willing and obedient, that's the, that's the difference right there. He says, you can be forgiven, but there's a condition on that. If you are willing and obedient. Look what it says in verse 19. If you're willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. God will reward and bless. But if you refuse and rebel, right? Willing and obedient is the opposite of refusing and rebelling, okay? If you're willing, that's a choice you make beforehand. And then being obedient is the action you do, okay? Same thing here with refuse. Refusing is saying, I won't follow God. Rebelling is doing acts that do not follow God. It says, if you refuse and rebel, you will be eaten by the sword. It says, if you do good, you're going to eat all the good stuff of the land. And he uses it like irony. He says, hey, and if you don't do good, the land's going to eat you. The people in the land are going to eat you. He's offering them forgiveness. But there's a word there that we use a lot in the New Testament that's really helpful. It's the word repentance. And that's God's message. We think about God's message. You need to admit your sin. The second thing that's God's message, point number three, you need to submit to God and stop your patterns of sin. Stopping your patterns of sin, the word that we use usually is repentance, okay? I want you to think of that word repentance as stopping your patterns of sin. These Israelites, they're in tons of patterns of sin. And God says, stop your patterns of sin. God says, you don't deserve to be forgiven because you've broken my law. But here's what I'll do. I will show you grace beyond anything you ever deserve. Your sins are like scarlet. You can't get those out. Your sins are like red crimson. But he says, I'll make them as white as wool. I'll wash them out. Does anyone here get bloody noses? Bloody noses, yeah. Most of the guys, yeah, that's what I've found. Um, I get bloody noses sometimes. I get bloody noses probably more than you think. I got a bloody nose the other day. Last week, actually, I got a bloody nose. I back to school night. Nobody even knew. It's kept a secret. I just tilted my head back and I was like... I went to the bathroom, right? Get bloody noses because apparently there's something wrong with my blood vessels. They're too big or too close to the skin. And I had one side burnt off. It's called getting your nose cauterized. Um, they take a, a little electric thing and they burn it and they scar tissue over. And then, um, but they can't do both sides because you'll go through your septum, which is that thing in the middle of your nose. Anyway, all this stuff to say, I get bloody noses and nothing happens. Like it doesn't hurt at all. But all of a sudden, it can feel like I have a runny nose. You know how you feel when you have a runny nose and you're always going like, and like wiping your nose? That's what it feels like when you have a bloody nose and it just comes out and it just will not stop unless you plug it up, okay? I've ruined a lot of things. I actually ruined a Bible one time. I was in church once. I was a junior higher. I was uh, in church and I uh, was sitting there, right? We were studying like uh, Romans 12 or Romans 13 when I was in junior high and I'm just sitting there and then all of a sudden, drop, drop, drop of blood, right? And it just, it ruined my Bible. I still have the Bible. It's actually kind of gross. Because um, <laughs> it's like brown. That's what it does when it dries. It turns into a different color. It's kind of weird. Point is, there's literally nothing I can do to get that out of my Bible. It's just there forever. There's literally nothing I can do. I could try to scrub it off. I could try to wash it. There is nothing I can do. 
to try to make that whole again because it's ruined. God says, your sins have done that to you. There's nothing you can do to fix it. There's nothing. You can scrub, you can try, you can try to be a good person. You can never fix your sin. It's, it's done. It's stained. But he says, I can do something about it. God can. You can never do anything to get out of the punishment of your sin. God has to do something, and that's what he promises to do. The book of Isaiah talks about that. Isaiah chapter 53, verse five says about someone, right, that he's gonna talk about later. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the discipline of the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. That's talking about Jesus. 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before he died on the cross. Isaiah says, someone's gonna come and take your sins away because he's gonna take your sins on himself. He's gonna get punished for the sins that you committed. Next verse, Isaiah 53, six. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned everyone to his own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of us all. It's a group of people looking back at Jesus and thinking, God punished Jesus in my place. That's true of every real Christian is you recognize there's nothing you can do. You, the stain is there. You can't fix it. God can fix it. And the only way that God can fix it is if someone is punished for the sin that you've committed. Jesus comes along and does that. And what he says is, come, let us reason together. I'll be willing to forgive you. But in this life, you need to repent. You need to turn from your sin. The problem is a lot of people love their sin. They don't want to turn away from it. They don't want to leave their bad group of friends. They don't want to stop watching their bad movies. They don't want to stop listening to their bad music. They don't want to stop wearing their bad clothing. They don't want to stop those bad words. They don't want to lose any of that popularity or acclaim that they have because of their sin. They want to hold on to it tightly. God says, let it go. I will forgive you. You letting it go doesn't forgive you, right? Even if you stop tomorrow, you still deserve punishment, but Jesus can do something about it. But that's the condition. You have to leave it behind. Some of you want to follow God and you want to be Christians, but you don't want to leave your sin, okay? You cannot become a Christian if you hang on to your sin. You cannot. You have to repent. That's what repentance means. It means to turn around, give it up. 2 Corinthians 7 talks about it. It says there's a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Well, what does that repentance look like? 2 Corinthians 7.11. It's easy to remember. Because 7.11. 2 Corinthians 7.11. Here's what it says. For see what eagerness this godly grief produced in you. And what earnestness you had. An eagerness to clear yourself. See what indignation. That means you were so mad. Mad that you sinned. It bothered you. It touched you personally. What fear you had because of your sin. You don't, oh, I don't want to get punished. You had real fear of God. What longing, you longed, I will do anything to stop this sin. What zeal, you were intense about it. You weren't just talking, you were doing something about it. What punishment, you're willing to go through anything if it meant you would repent of your sin. At every point, you have proved yourself innocent of the matter, right? If you want to know what real repentance looks like, it's that. It's saying, not only am I deciding today I'm not going to sin, but also creating a pattern of proving yourself innocent. 
Okay? If you need to repent of lying, here's what you need to do. You need to tell the truth every day. You need to tell the truth. You can't lie if you're telling the truth, right? Right? You're going to do one or the other. You can't be mean and nice at the same time, right? You're either going to be genuine and kind and nice, or you're going to be mean, right? Maybe your sin is gossip. You feel like I can't stop talking about people. Okay, we'll start talking nice things about people. You replace the bad habit of sin with the good habit of righteousness. That's repentance. That's what he's talking about. Here's the other crazy thing that Isaiah says. He says, look, you deserve sin, or you're in sin, so you deserve God's punishment. God can do something about that, but he calls you to repent. That was true then, it's true now. But the other crazy thing that he says is something that hasn't even been fulfilled yet. It's something that God promised that we're still looking forward to. It's been 2,700 years, but this has not happened in its completion yet. Okay. I want you to look at Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. Isaiah 2, 1. It says this, The word of the Lord, or the word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. It shall come to pass in the latter days. That means the end. The end times. The mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be lifted up above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. He's saying one day this city of Jerusalem is gonna be the center of the entire world's focus. Everyone's gonna say, what's happening there? What are they gonna say? Many people will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, right? Just like the book of Deuteronomy, the law. And the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge between nations. The Lord will physically be in Jerusalem. How does that happen? How does that happen? That the Lord reigns and rules from Jerusalem. How does that happen? It happens with Jesus. King Jesus will be ruling from this place. And the whole world is gonna go look to him. He will judge between nations and he shall decide disputes for many people. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares. Right? All their weapons they're going to take and turn into farming equipment because they won't need it anymore. Their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. They don't need to. Right? See how that's not fulfilled today yet? People are still going to war with each other. Country against country. You still need the sword, so to speak. You can't just turn your sword into a plowshare because you still need your sword, because this world still has so much evil in it. He says, but one day, Jesus is going to establish a perfect kingdom where everyone in it will be righteous. Verse 5, look at Isaiah 2, 5. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. He says, that's going to happen in the future, but what about right now? Right now, if you follow God, here's what you should do. Walk in the light of the Lord. Follow him. Get ready for his perfect kingdom. Point number four is this, get ready for God's righteous kingdom. Get ready for God's righteous kingdom. Something really interesting is happening in this text. He's basically saying this, God expects righteousness. He looks at the world and he sees sinfulness. What will God do about it? Is he gonna let it go on forever? The answer is no, he's not gonna let it go on forever. And he basically says, people have two options. Either they're gonna continue in their sin and God is going to destroy them, or they're going to repent and turn to God and live righteously and God's going to save them. Either way, 
Either way, God wins. Either way, righteousness will be established. That's the idea of, I mean, imagine this world, these Israelites. It's described here, and you can read it this week as you look at this passage. I'd actually encourage you to read these five chapters at some point this week to catch the whole thing. But all the sins are described. He says some of these people are so rich, and the reason they're rich is they're stealing all these things from other people. He even talks about some of the ladies' jewelry. He says, you have really nice bracelets and necklaces. And why do you have those? Because you've been taking from other people. You've been thieves. You're stealing from other people. That's not righteousness. What's righteous is never to steal again. You want to live in a world where there will be no sin, no crying, no stealing, no war. You want to live in that world. That is the world that Jesus is going to establish. But it won't happen until he judges the people who get in the way. You don't want to be one of those people that get in his way. That's what he's promising. God's going to make the world right. But think about how he has to do that. If he's going to make the world sinless and you're going to continue in your sin, do you see the problem with that? I think it's interesting that Isaiah says, really, it's God speaks here. He says, oh, house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord. You know, the New Testament says that same phrase and it talks about the same thing. In Ephesians chapter five, it's interesting. Ephesians five, Paul says, don't let anyone deceive you. Don't let anyone trick you with empty words. Because of all these sinful things, the wrath of God is coming on the world. Same message that Isaiah had. It says, therefore, don't become partners with people who do those sinful things. Don't join with them. For at one time, you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. It says, at one time, you were in all that sin, but now you're in the light. So Christians, here's what he says, walk as children of the light. It's the same idea as Isaiah 2.5, walk in the light of the Lord. Ephesians 5.8 says, walk as children of the light. What does that look like? For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. How can you know what's pleasing to the Lord? By opening up this book, by living according to this book, Basically, here's the idea. If you are going to this perfect kingdom where Jesus is going to reign in righteousness, here's the idea. If you're a Christian, you need to live righteously now. You need to live righteously now. Because if you're going to live in this perfect world, you need to live righteously now. He even says, in Jesus speaking, in the book of Matthew, he says, you should pray every day for this kingdom to come. He says, pray every day. This is Matthew chapter 6, verse 10. He says, pray this. Your kingdom come. God, I want that kingdom to come here. And I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I even want that perfect world to start to happen here. Wouldn't that be awesome if in my small group, instead of the gossip, instead of the bad stuff and the unrighteousness and the stealing and all that stuff, you know what would be really great? If there was righteousness, treating each other well, loving one another. I want your kingdom to come. And I also want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want all the stuff that God wants happening in heaven, I want it happening here on earth too. That's what we gotta pray like. If you're in Isaiah 2, look at Isaiah 1, 27. Isaiah 1, 27. It says Zion, which is another word for the mountain of the Lord. Whenever you see the word Zion, you're thinking, okay, that's the, the place where God lives. That's Jerusalem. Sometimes it's even used to describe heaven, but here it's talking about the city of Jerusalem. It says it will be redeemed it's going to be made right by justice. 
It's a bad thing for people who are on the other side of God's justice. He says, and those in her who repent by righteousness. Okay, God's going to make it good, but how is he going to make it good? He's going to have to judge some people, and then he's going to have to see others repent. You have to decide, which one am I going to be? Verse 28, but rebels and sinners shall be broken together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. The only way for God to establish that perfect kingdom one day is if he judges those who are unrighteous. And if you're a person who's gonna oppose God and you're gonna say, I don't wanna follow God, then God's gonna have to get rid of you too. But the offer tonight is the offer that Isaiah gives. It's really from God. Come, let us reason together. Though your sins are like scarlet, they can be white as snow. You can be forgiven and saved from your sins. Problem is if you love this world so much, you can't even think or, or even see, realizing that this new world's going to be better, you might say, I want this world now as opposed to that world then. I think that's a big problem because obviously you're not thinking right like God would want us to think. But um, I've had similar thoughts when it comes to um, not understanding what's standing right next to me. For example, I was, uh, I was traveling on that, and it wasn't on the same trip. It was on a trip before, um, but I was traveling. And uh, I was staying in a hotel. I was all by myself. And I thought, it's dinner time. So I went outside. I didn't have a car. So I'm like in this area in Atlanta, walking around. And uh, it's not the city. It's like out in the suburbs. Uh, I recognize a restaurant. One, rec one restaurant I recognize. The beautiful restaurant of Olive Garden. It's in the same parking lot. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? That's going to do. Uh, yeah, it's dinner time. It's time for Olive Garden. So I uh, do this mobile order thing. I have to set it up because I go to order like in the store. Like, no, we'll only do mobile orders. Like, what? Uh, can I sit down? No, it's uh, too late. Okay. Uh, so I download the app. I do all this stuff and then I order it and I'm like waiting there. It's really sad actually if you think about it, right? I'm in an Olive Garden 2,000 miles away, 10 o'clock at night, you know, sitting there waiting for my mobile order, and I get it eventually. Um, and the funny thing was, I thought, you know, I ordered it just now. It was still cold when I got it. So I take it back to my hotel room. Right? I, I, I want the breadstick. I want it to be fresh and hot. Guess what? It literally tasted like it had been sitting there for six hours. It's just room temperature. They gave me a salad. Best part about the salad at Olive Garden is the, um, the dressing, right? Tiny little packet like a, you know, a ketchup packet size. I'm like, come on, guys. And then I'm like, at least the pasta's gonna be good. Half of it was like cold, and like the other half of it was like lukewarm. And it was like they put it in the microwave. I'm like, okay, this took forever. I don't know why. I literally just ordered. It was like 10 o'clock at night. I'm eating. So I'm eating, and I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm traveling. It's the best I could do. It wasn't good and all that stuff. Um, and then the next day I talked to the people that I'm working with out there and they're like, oh, did you go to, you know, such and such an Italian place next to you? I'm like, what are you talking about? No, I went to Olive Garden. The person who was talking to you almost had water spit out of their mouth. Um, they're like, you went to Olive Garden? Olive Garden's terrible. And I'm like, yeah, it was probably, it wasn't that good, but it was okay. It's like, do you know that one of the highest rated Italian restaurants in the entire state of Georgia was across the street from where you were eating. And I was like, no, I didn't know that. 
I said, are you kidding me? It was I had some fancy. That's like one of the best Italian restaurants anywhere. And you had lukewarm Olive Garden in your hotel room with not enough dressing? Are you kidding me? I said, I didn't know. I didn't know. One of those is better than the other. I wish I had got it right that night. But I guess Olive Garden wasn't the worst thing in the end. The problem is that's kind of how a lot of us deal with the world. We think, oh, we'll settle for this. This is good enough. But God says he's going to bring a perfect world where there's no sin, nothing wrong. It's going to be perfect. But the only people who are going to live in that perfect world are the people who recognize I'm sinful. I'm separated from God. I need Jesus to take my sins on himself. I need to call out to Jesus and ask him to save me of my sins. And I'm willing to repent. I'm willing to turn from all my sin and trust in him. And the promise, the book of Isaiah, and think about this. Look at those four points that you just wrote down. That's the story of the book of Isaiah. It's really the story of the first five chapters, but really that's the story of the entire history of the world. That God speaks. He says we're sinful and separated from him. We've got a problem. That we can be forgiven if we repent. And that God's going to make a perfect world one day. That's why this book is so great. And we're going to unpack a lot of what that means later on as we look through the book of Isaiah. But tonight in small groups, we're going to look at what it means to follow God. What it means to turn from sin. What it means to look forward to that perfect world. So I want to pray right now before we do that. So we can get a right mindset as we go to talk about these things. Let's pray and ask God for help understanding this. God, we're thankful that your word is clear. We're thankful that we are warned that we have a sin problem. Thank you for telling us about that. We wouldn't know with the same clarity if you didn't tell us. Pray that each and every person tonight who is hearing this warning of our sin and the judgment that's deserved by it, I just pray that we would take it to heart, that we'd listen carefully. Please, please change our hearts. Make us see the depth of our sin. And I pray that some people tonight would turn to you for the first time, that in their repentance, they would give up all their sin, they'd submit to you, they'd avoid your judgment by looking to Jesus who was judged in our place. And I pray that we'd all, all of us who are right with you, I pray that we would look forward to this new world that you're gonna make that's perfect. I pray that would even get us excited to live righteously right now. I thank you for those who even this summer have started to understand more about their sin and professed faith in you and are trying to turn to you. I just ask that you would help them see clearly what their sin is and that you'd help them turn from their sin and follow you. Please help us with that tonight. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.